You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's style is very unique, where he shares the message of the gospel unlike anyone else. It's real, refreshing, focused, and fun. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe in a difficult place, or possibly even in a very lonely place, let me encourage you that you've come to the right place. Now, if you're not able to stick around with us for all of today's talk, you can always listen to, download, and even share this entire message with a friend right from our website, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Pricks. So, the uh, definition, now that I have your attention, the definition is a stupid or obnoxious male. One of the definitions. Now you say, well, what's this going to be about? If you're diabetic, you know of another kind of prick or pricker. Does anybody know anything about this? It's not an easy thing if you find out you have diabetes and you're constantly trying to sample your blood. That's a tough thing. There's an old statement that says, never a rose without a prick. In other words, getting stuck by that rose. Fascinating thing how roses come with such a protection. Needles, covered that one. So let's get into scripture fast before I lose you. Acts chapter 2. I promise you it's in the Bible. It may make you nervous, but it's in the Bible. Acts chapter 2. So before I read you, literally part of us, well, maybe we'll do the whole sermon here. The thing that Christianity has going for it, other than God himself, his son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, that other people don't have, other religions don't have, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They have sometimes demonic spirits that can trick them and mislead them. But the Holy Spirit is specific to Judaism and to Christianity. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would come on someone. In the New Testament, we know the Holy Spirit comes in someone. So when you become a Christian, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are his house. He lives in you and through you. So here's what is so extraordinary and what simplifies my task and the task of any teacher, any preacher around the world is I know when I say that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead, that God himself will honor that seed shoved in ground and will cause it to germinate. Other religions do not have this. So when you have someone in scripture in the power of the Holy Spirit speak truth, then the people that hear that, you'll see what happens to them. So let's start in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit come, the Pentecost, like a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind and they speak with other tongues or other languages and the spirit gives them utterance and then once this happens then down in verse 5 and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven and when this sound occurred the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language here it's a miracle they're speaking in other languages, maybe that they don't know, but the people who do know them, it's not even just a language, it's a dialect of a language. So they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And that's kind of a nice way of calling them rednecks. Like these guys can't possibly know our dialect. They're not educated. They're Galileans. And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born, like where we're from? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they weren't just rambling, they were speaking the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking say they're full of new wine, they're just drunk. But Peter standing up with the eleven, And you say, well, Peter standing up with the 11 raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, it's still morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So now he uses the old Testament to preach this sermon and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. What did they just witnessed? An eclipse, the moon turned to blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you've got to call on his name. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, quotes the Old Testament again, I foresaw the Lord always before my face for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also were rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Hades nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence." Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Now, who's he talking about? We all, some of them, but at least he's got himself in the 11. And you say, well, how are there 11? Judas committed suicide. They've replaced Judas. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ." Now you say, well, what happens when you hear that? This is what happened. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked to the heart. So first one of the pricks here, they were cut to the heart. And the word literally means to pierce thoroughly. That is to agitate violently, sting to the quick or pricked. So it was like they got cut to the quick. There's no other word for it. They got pricked to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, 
the power of the gospel, this message of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, to those who are perishing, the Bible says it's foolishness. But to those who believe or are believing, it is the power of God and the salvation. Never be hesitant when the Holy Spirit prompts you to tell this story, to tell this story. So when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, or as one translation says, they were pricked to the heart and said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, he had an answer, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Repent. What does that mean? People say it means to turn around. It does not mean to turn around. The word repent is two Greek words that mean to change your mind. If you change your mind, you might turn around, but don't turn around without changing your mind or you'll turn around again. You'll just do a 360. So you have to change your mind. What does that mean? You stop saying that what you say is right. And if God says something different, he's wrong. You say, God, if what I am saying disagrees with what you say, I'm going to change my mind and I agree with you now. So we're going to do what you say, not what I say anymore. And most people say, well, I've been a good person. I hear this repeatedly. Well, I'm a good guy. I've never done anything terrible. Like, That's not being good is never bad. It's just never going to be good enough. Because if being good were okay, he never would have had to send his son. He never would have died. Go to Acts chapter 9. So we see there your conscience can be pricked. The Holy Spirit can literally pierce your conscience and you go, oh my gosh, something is terribly wrong. Now, Saul, this guy, you may have heard of Saul. There's some Sauls in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Saul gets his name changed. His life is so changed that literally his name gets changed to Paul, wrote half the New Testament. God used him to write it. Brilliant man, highly educated guy, not a Galilean like they were referring to them earlier. He's a guy, he's it. Pharisee of the Pharisees, the law blameless. I mean, he had lived the life but he was a bad dude. And when Christianity started coming out, Saul was on the wrong side of the aisle here on this thing and said, you know what, I'm gonna persecute. These people are nuts. I'm not just gonna persecute them, I'm gonna get them killed. So he was hunting down Christians. And in Acts chapter nine, verse one, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, that's what they called it, the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So give me letters of authorization so that I can go to the synagogue and I am you know, legalized under this system to find anybody of the way, these followers of Christ, arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem and let's put them away. So he is on his way to persecute the way and he gets stopped. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now your translation, you say that's not in my translation. That's part of the reason why I use the new King James version because it's in my translation. Now I know you say, I'm not getting this big argument about that, but there's some stuff because of the manuscripts that are used to do some translations others. I'll read it to you in a second in Acts chapter 26 where it is in your translation. So I don't have a problem having it here if it's there. But this is what he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what in the world does, or as the King James Version said, hard against you to kick against the pricks. So what were those? If somebody is running a pair of oxen and they're plowing, they would have a big stick with a sharp object 
point on the end of it, metal object of some kind, and to steer those oxen, they would goad them, prick them with that goad, with that stick, and that's how they directed them. Every once in a while, a rebellious ox would decide he had had enough, and he'd start kicking, hind legs kicking against the pricks, against the goad, against that sharp object. So it's bad enough that you're getting steered with this thing, trying to get you in the right direction. Now you're rebelling and kicking against it. Now you've got that thing impaled in you. It's even more painful. How long are you going to take on Jesus? And what is it going to take? So why is he back there goading you, pricking you with this stick? Why is he doing these things? Because he's trying to get you going the right direction, trying to get me on the right path. And literally says to Saul here, you're not persecuting the way these Christians, you're persecuting me. It's hard for you to kick against the goad. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay, I get it. I'm aware of what I'm doing. Now he's been pricked about what has happened. This is always, for some reason, a crazy disconnect for Christians. So let me say this to you specifically if you're a Christian first. You say, well, I'm going to just live like hell, and because there's grace, there's nothing God can do about it. If you are a Christian, you are a child of God. If you're a child of God, he is your father. If he is your father, he loves you. If he loves you, he's going to chasten or discipline those that he loves. You cannot remove that connection. I cannot do whatever I want to do and then be shocked when I get goaded. And then on top of that, start kicking against that. Or... If you're like the group over in Acts chapter 2, or like Saul in this specific spot, who was literally persecuting Christians, and then all of a sudden God keeps trying to steer him with consequence, whatever's going on with you, and you're like, what is all this? Why are these things happening to me? It's possible that God loves you and is trying to get your attention. Why is all this bad stuff happening? Just climb in a closet somewhere and be still for long enough to say, God, is it possible that this is you trying to care about me and stop me or direct me towards you instead of against you? And what is it going to take? So look what he does. Trembling and astonished, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So they didn't see anything, but they heard the voice. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So now he's blind, can't see, been spoken to by Jesus himself. What are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? Now go over to Acts chapter 26. So here is where he recounts this story to Agrippa, King Agrippa, Acts 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. Jump down there to verse 12. While thus occupied, he tells this story. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads or against the pricks. And by the way, this was a Gentile phrase that all the Jews knew. Anybody in agriculture, everybody knew exactly what this phrase meant. They had seen these oxen run, led by this tool, so they knew what it was. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will reveal to you. 
I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes and look at what the purpose for this. And this is not just him to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And the same word here used to prick means a point that is a sting, figuratively a poison of goad, divine impulse, prick, sting. So you say, well, what God's doing to me, it stings. It's supposed to sting. It's supposed to get your attention. It's supposed to get my attention and say, okay, I don't need this anymore. Just go the right direction without being goaded all the time. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a few pages to the right. And once you find 2 Corinthians chapter 12, then flip, go hard left to Judges. And let me read you some verses in the Old Testament. Go to Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, 15. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Does anybody have the way of the sinner is hard in your translation? The way of the unfaithful is hard. So you say, well, what does it mean to be unfaithful? It means not to be faithful, not to be faithful to him. You say, was that talking about marriage? It's talking about any number of things, especially though your relationship with God. If you're cheating on God, it's going to be hard for you. The way of the sinner is hard. The way of the unfaithful is hard. Go to Proverbs 15, 10. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. You mess with God long enough, he can take you out. You say, well, that can't happen. Just read your Bible. A king who didn't give glory to God, bam, he dropped him just like that. You say, well, what kind of God would do that? I don't know, but he's God and he can do what he wants to do. You say, but I thought he was full of grace and mercy and he'd be patient with me. He's going to be patient as long as he knows the patience is working. And then if he realizes you don't get it and you'd be better off in heaven, you can get your number pulled. Because the reason for being down here is to get us in shape to meet him and to accomplish what it is he has for us to do between here and heaven. And you've only got that long. So get on with it. And if he's goading you, pricking you, poking you with something, trying to steer you, pay attention to that and say, okay, I get it. Let's go that way. Keep reading. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way and he who hates correction will die. Ecclesiastes 12, just a few pages to the right. Go right, you'll hit it. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 11. Listen to this. The words of the wise are like goads. Now you know what a goad is. It's a sharp object on the end of a stick and somebody is using those words. So the words of the wise are like goads and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. So if you have people in your life that care about you and they come along and speak wisdom into your life and something pricks your ears, your ears kind of stand up and go, wait a minute, I think I'm supposed to hear this. Then don't just hear it, do something with what you hear. So if you have people in your life and they speak words of wisdom that kind of goad you along and your ears kind of prick up and they go, wow, I think I need to hear this. Don't just listen, go do something, go put it into practice. That's when your life changes. And then when you go back to that person and say, okay, I did what you said. You know what? I want to help that person. All right, let's go back to, did we read all those? We read all those. So let's go last place, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, same guy, Paul here. So let's just start at verse 1. It is doubtless 
not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be and hears from me. So he knows somebody, it's tremendous experience. I have not had this experience. And then he says in verse seven, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. So God is showing him so he's seeing so much spiritual stuff. So much is being revealed to him. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And if you go look at this word, the thorn, part of this definition is a point or a prickle, figuratively a bodily annoyance or disability, a thorn. So what happens to Paul? God has a way of keeping him humble. Instead of getting such a big head, he's seen so many amazing things. Literally, he's given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, because of that, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So you say, well, I got some thorn. I got some thing. I've asked God to take it away. It won't go away. Then take pleasure in it and say, okay, God, if you're not going to remove this, then use it. Even if it's painful to you, even if it's a prick in your side all the time, you say, Lord, you're not taking it away. No. He said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Then you say, well, then I'd rather glory in my infirmities for when I am weak, then I am strong. I met with a guy the other day and circumstance in his life, he had to move and his wife was thrilled the city they moved to. He was back in town. I talked to him. She's thrilled. The kids are thrilled. He's not thrilled because he had a ministry here, was being useful and you know, he just didn't like that he had to go. So I looked at him and I said, dude, let me tell you something. I said, you can grieve that for a little while, but the pouting's got to stop. Now I know this guy a long time. You say, well, how could you say that to him? Because I want people in my life telling me the same thing. How do you think you grow? How do you think you have accountability? How do you think you get prodded in the right direction if these words of wisdom, people saying something to you, get you back on track? So he was just pouting. I said, dude, get on with it. That's where you live, that's what's up, go do that. Be grateful for that, have the right attitude. I said, you're affecting your wife, your kids, and everybody who knows you. You're just a run around pouting. And I'm the king of pouters, you can ask my family. So I'm an expert in this area. You just get the woes is me's, and you can't get out. So it's one thing, if you've been pricked to get you going the right direction, okay, then take note of that, don't kick against that. And if your conscience has been pricked, you've heard something and God says, look, this is the truth. Then you respond, what do we got to do? If you ask what to do, he will send you some answers about what to do. And if you've got something going on in your life and you've prayed and prayed and prayed and it doesn't go away, then be open to the possibility that maybe God is using that where you end up being weak, but he is strong through that. And you say, okay, I'm okay with that. When I'm weak, then he's strong. 
and it keeps us in a mode of needing Him. Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest. Real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. One of the things I've observed about myself, and I talked to another fellow recently, and he's been under tremendous pressure. Wife lost her mind, left, just crazy stuff going on. And all of a sudden, the pressure is easing. It's, he's not under as much pressure as he's been under. And this is how he described the relationship now. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not praying. It's going, drifting. Isn't it fascinating that when we're under pressure, in the heat of the battle, fighting, wanting answers, we pray, we chase God, we need answers. But when the storm subsides a little bit, when the battle stops, you say, well, why would the enemy ever stop attacking? Because he knows we fall asleep. We just get lulled into complacency and kind of just drift off and doesn't matter anymore. Prick, I didn't even get into what most of you think that is. And the definition, as you recall, was a stupid, obnoxious male. Just in closing, don't be one. Don't be that. Thanks for listening today to Richard Ellis Talks. We're confident that the program blessed you, and we want to hear about it. One way is to give us a call and let us know. The number is 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is to drop us an email. Jump on over to our website, richardellistalks.com, and click on the Connect tab at the top. We'd love to hear from you. And while you're there at the website, there's a ton of great stuff there just for you. Things like all of the talk from Richard, a prayer wall where you can leave your prayer request, and a whole lot more. Check it out, richardellistalks.com. Finally, we love doing this program for you, but we're so grateful when you hop on board to help us with the cost. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD, or you can contribute through the website. It's easy and much appreciated. 855-6-RICHARD or richardellistalks.com. Until next time, God bless you, and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.